Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. Once again and always, I am joined by my co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello everyone. Well, it's been horse camp and I know you're dying to know how horse camp went. Um, so yeah, I went last weekend, stayed for three days. Um, the social side was amazing. I mean, I met mm-hmm. up with loads of friends that I, I've known for many years. We had a really, really great time. The actual horse riding side wasn't that great. My horse was, I, I'm just trying to think of a polite way to call her, but she wasn't, she wasn't very well behaved. Um, belligerent. She was a belligerent uh, horse. Yes. Yes. I mean, I called her many other names, mm. um, but she did try to kill me multiple times, which was fun. Wow. Um, <laughs> but yeah it was it was so good I mean it's just nice to just get together with like-minded people like I say people that I've known for a long long time um just have have fun it's all about the social side horse camp it's not Are you allowed to talk really about horse fun. camp I thought horse camp might be a bit like fight club you know the first rule about horse club is you don't talk about horse club well, I'm not going to tell you the dirty secrets about what actually oh. happened, but no, 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 nothing happened. It's not <laughs> nothing like that. Um, everyone was very well behaved. Um, what is the um, what is the law like regarding riding a horse whilst under the influence? Do you know what? I don't actually know. I mean, obviously on private land you can do what you like, but if you took them out on the roads, I don't know. Could you get done for drink riding? I don't know. Otherwise, I'd be. Well, maybe I shouldn't admit to no, doing no, this. No, no, no. Well, we'll cut it out. There, we'll just, we'll uh, intervention. Uh, intervention. <laughs> put the brakes on that one. No, I was uh, just wondering because you can. You're not allowed to. Do, you're not allowed to ride a push bike, but on the horse, kind of. You know, there is a philosophical question: Do you ride the horse, or does the horse ride you? Well, I just sit there and hold on. To be honest, and hope for the best. That's what I mean. my philosophy. I mean, so I mean, so yeah. a horse. You know, you wouldn't if you take it in that. You know. You, you're allowed to be drunk on a train. You're allowed to be drunk in a taxi. You know, where does a horse sit? If you had a, if, if you had a car on one side, imagine how it's, it's a scale. We're doing a liquor at scale. We're doing, it's like scaling. I feel like I'm back in a child protection conference here. We're doing signs of safety scaling. But instead, right now, we're doing drunk horse riding scaling. On the zero, on the far left-hand side, you've got car self-propelled car that you drive yourself not like a tesla that drives itself but like a standard car like the one you're cutting about in at the moment on the far right at number 10 you've got a taxi evidently you can be in a taxi drunk yeah. from zero to ten with zero being car ten being taxi what number would you place a horse at in terms of self-propelled ability uh ratioed with the uh the need for the rider to uh, direct matters probably one or two because if you just sit there your horse doesn't go anywhere or or have a mind of its own so if you're Mm. directing it somewhere you are kind of driving it like you are a car so Mm. i would say it's probably not advisable to get drunk ride a horse on the road but if you're on private land like we were then i mean it makes it more fun and a bit safer to be honest because you lose your inhibitions and well, maybe not safer. That's probably not. You good. might go floppy when you drop, though. Maybe less chance of a broken bone. That's true. Yeah. And you ride better when you're not in your head being 
fearful mm. or, or nervous or something. Can horses tell I'm... when you're drunk? Probably. I mean, at Christmas, I give my horses alcohol. It's it's kind of a standard thing. You give them a bit of Guinness, they love it. Yeah. And if if they've got an upset stomach or something, you can give them a bit of brandy or a bit of whiskey. Um, kind of old school home remedies that you can do that involve alcohol. So, yeah, I mean, horses probably can tell. Hmm. Well, I never thought, when I did all my notes for today's podcast, at no point did I consider we would alight upon a conversation about giving a horse alcohol. I know. Well, it's a wild ride on Social Work Radio. So it's a wild ride when you're drunk on a horse as well. That too. It is indeed. Um, But anyway, enough about me. How are you? How's everything going for you this week? I'm good. I'm good. I'm full of the joys of late spring, early summer, my friend. I, uh, ho, 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 I, uh... I was going to use the word hooked up there, but that's really inappropriate. I met up. I didn't hook up. I met up. I met up with one of our uh, columnists on social work news this uh, past weekend. She uh, had a spare ticket to a uh, Sam Fender concert in my neck of the woods at St. James's Park in Newcastle. And uh, she kindly asked me if I would like to go. So, um, a uh, yeah, a good a good time. Well, I'd like to say a good time. I had a good time. I'd like to think she had a good time as well of my company. But it was a first time up in the uh, in the northeast of England. So on the on the Friday, I gave her a bit of a tour. Took her out to one of my favourite restaurants. Sort of showed her the sights. Took her down the quayside. Showed her the Angel of the North. Showed her the the Baltic Flour Mill and the actual Newcastle which uh, Newcastle is uh, famed for. And uh, the Sam, I mean, I've, I've liked Sam Fender, you know, since before he was mainstream, obviously. He uh, he comes from North Shields, which is about 10 miles from where I live. And, you know, he was kind of on the scene in Newcastle. There were gigs before he was uh, sort of mainstream. And I've seen him twice before. This was the third time. But to see him for his first night at St. James's Park, obviously I'm there every other weekend watching my beloved Newcastle United to sort of see, you know, one of my favourite artists, a local boy who's done good at St. James's Park in front of 60,000 Geordies. It was a a special night indeed. And I'm uh, very grateful for our anonymous columnist for uh, taking me along to that one. So yeah, a very good weekend indeed. Um, right, should we uh, crack on with this week's show, Tilly, and stop talking about gigs and drunk horses? Okay, you ready for this? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about something social work related, shall we? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> we can usually find a link. Well, yeah, to be fair, I've got a link. I was actually with a social worker on Friday, so I've got some sort of link there. And I, you know, you and I are both social workers, but I'm not sure we can find a social work link between our profession and drunk horses. But we'll give it a try sometime. Um This week, we are going to be talking about surviving your first year as a social worker. The reason we've chosen the topic is it's around this time of year when people are either first starting their newly qualified positions or will be in the midst of interviewing or perhaps they have been successfully interviewed for a position and are waiting to get started, things like DBS checks to come through and so on. So I thought now was as good a time as any to start talking about this subject as a standalone topic, given Tilly, 
It is something you and I discuss on a regular basis. We quite often drop hints and we discuss what our own experiences were like. So let's give this a show in, in and of itself and give it the uh, attention that it deserves. So I'm just going to come out and ask you, Tilly, many years ago now, but what are your memories of first starting out as a social worker around this time of year? And what was your first year as a whole like? So to start off with, what was it like when you took that first step into social work, got your first job? What was the interview like? And then after you'd got over those initial experiences, how did your first year as a newly qualified social worker go for you? So I was an eager beaver, shall we just say, when I started in social work. Never, never. Obviously not. (laughs) Kel surprise. Surprise, surprise. I mean... I am like Hermione Granger in many ways. And I suppose I was a little bit like that when I started out in social work. So I actually did my interview um, back in February of the year when I was due to qualify. Um, So I secured my job in children's services and a referral and assessment team. And I gave myself two weeks between qualifying and then starting my new job, which probably wasn't very long, but I did have a holiday in that time. So it was, um, it wasn't all work, but I started, I was so excited to, to join children's services and it was a bit of a baptism of fire. I think on my second day, I was out with colleagues, removing children, going at duty work and, and sitting on the duty desk and just responding to multiple crises that, that you know very well in child protection. It quickly became quite chaotic, I'd probably say. I mean, as I was going to be a bit of a workaholic, I think throughout, I probably will be throughout my life. I definitely threw myself in, said yes to absolutely everything, overcommitted. And I think I felt very close to burnout, to be honest, Mm -hmm. probably mid to the end of my first year. I was exhausted. I was working really long hours. I was in the office till like 9, 10 every night. Wow. Um, Wow. I know. I know. And at the time, I didn't hate it because I was feeling like I was doing a good job. And Was anyone else um, there at that time? Was that a culture or was it just you? Yeah, yeah, there was a few of us. There was like a core a core group of people who would stay late. I mean, not all the social workers did, but it was a very, very busy team. Yeah. And we had Ofsted come in towards the end of um, my first year, which as well, our English listeners will know Ofsted is like our regulator, but but for those of you further afield, an Ofsted visit can spike fear in mm. all local authorities when the regulator comes in and inspects children's services. And the local authority I was in didn't have a very good Ofsted rating at the time, and there was mm. a lot of changes made. We then went into a restructure, and it, I just finished my ASYE And at that point, I thought, I'm either going to leave social work altogether. And I very, very almost did leave social work. Um, But I, for some reason, stayed. And I got a job in adult services at the point of restructuring, even though children's services offered me more money and my pretty much pick of positions. Mm. um, And they were going to move me up to a level three social worker, which for someone that's just qualified well, or just finish their ASYE. It's, it's too much of a responsibility, but it meant that they could pay me more. Um, but I turned it down and I took a pay cut and moved to adults. And that was the best decision I made because it was 
it was a busy chaotic first year and looking back I feel like I probably had some sort of like mild PTSD coming out of it because it took me probably three or four months after leaving children's services before I could actually sleep through the night and not wake up in a panic um, thinking about my cases or or thinking that I've missed something it didn't suit me that that kind of pressurized safeguarding work I mean don't get me wrong I love doing the duty stuff and actually my favorite roles in adults have been working in like a busy hospital environment or duty environment but dealing with the referrals and assessment nature within child protection having to do those unannounced visits on my own not really knowing what I was going out for I had some really quite scary situations where looking back I'm really surprised nothing actually happened where I went out on my own to people's houses where I really shouldn't have been going out on my own and just had some quite big near misses. Um, And actually, I was 21 when I qualified. So I was 21, 22 during that first year. And I was far too young to be doing that level of of work, really. So I, I had a really good grounding in social work and I'm pleased that I did that. Um, I don't I certainly don't regret that first year in child protection because I think it it gave me a really good understanding of social work and managing risk and also it enables me now to be able to talk about children's services and having actually experienced it even though it's not not um, recent anymore but equally it was a lot to do and and I'm I'm glad that I managed to move out into adults when I did because it adult social work suits me far better but how how was yours how was yours similar to mine because I know you started off in a in a busy child protection team we talked about that before on the podcast yeah so do you know what it's it's almost 10 years to the day exactly when I got my job my first job it was in late June 2013 I had left so I did a degree I did a BSc in child and family studies and I wanted to do a master's in social work but there was the option to finish the master's early and come out with a PG dip so you still got your social work qualification but you didn't do the dissertation and that saved you about three months so I'd started applying for jobs um, around sort of March April had two interviews one was in Sunderland which is now together for children because it's a trust but it was just Sunderland Council 10 years ago and the other was in Darlington um I actually went for the job interview at Sunderland and didn't even get selected uh, it was I just didn't even hear back I mean I'm, I'm assuming I didn't get offered the job otherwise I'm very much mistaken I did go for a position at Darlington now I did go for a full-time position in the long-term team um, which was like field work which is kind of what I've always done but I didn't get that but they rang me up and said there was a three-day week position had come up in the duty and assessment team and I was like brilliant you know let's go for that so I start my social work career sort of started in a bit of a disjointed way because I left my I'd left uni earlier about maybe about a quarter of the class did the same thing we bargained that we'd rather start work three four months earlier I've got to be honest I regret it now I wish I had got the masters and I'm kind of still thinking about going back and doing the dissertation but hey ho it is what it is at the time I made the right decision for me. So I'd started three days a week, but I was working as a careers advisor. I was a manager for the National Careers Service at the time. So 
I still wanted to do something with my other two days. I wasn't just going to sit around doing nothing. So from June 2013 until October 2013, for the first four months that I was in social work, I was doing three days a week as a social worker, two days a week working for the career service. So I didn't really feel like I kind of got going really. But the very first day that I was a social worker in that assessment team 10 years ago, this is how green I was and how naive I was. The first thing that happened to me after I walked in, my manager showed me around, I sat down, got used to the system. A very experienced agency social worker came over and got me to write a chronology for her. And I was like, excellent, what a great learning opportunity. Thank you ever so much. And now I look back thinking she had me done right like a kipper there, didn't she? Here's a brand new social worker. Let's get him to write my chronology. So that was my first day as a social worker was spent writing a chronology for an agency social worker. And I look back and I think I would never do that to someone now. But equally, it's kind of like my first day on a building site where someone tried to send me for a long stand and a box of rubber nails and a a tin of tartan paint but she got away that I actually did sit there and write a chronology I also remember vividly the support that I had from two social workers there were two really experienced social workers that became quite good friends of Linda and Naomi and they were amazing you know the support they gave me was absolutely brilliant there was a definite feeling and I'm pretty sure you and I had this before Tilly but tell me if I'm not there was a definite feeling from both Linda and Naomi which was well, Vince, that's what university teaches you. That's what we're meant to do, but this is what we really do. And if not for them, I would never have kind of learned what social workers really do. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Everyone always does yeah. that, I think, when you first start work. Yeah, and it was brilliant. So they really took me under the wing, even like simple things like how to deal with phone calls, how to obviously use the system, little sort of tricks and you know twists and sort of way I could change things slightly and you know to be better at my job and then I um I had about three months in that position the reason why I was able to sort of stop doing the two days a week as the career service and go full time is because the council had a bit of a reshuffle lo and behold another reshuffle what a surprise are you experienced the same and they moved to a more locality way of working. When they were setting up new localities, they kind of did a structure of team numbers. So there was an opportunity for me to go from the duty team to a long-term team. And that's really the best thing that could have happened for everybody because I'm a great believer, Tilly, and I've experienced it myself that you need your most experienced social workers on the front door. You need your most experienced social workers doing those initial assessments and screening because if you don't have very experienced social workers who've got a good tolerance for risk and a good idea of thresholds, what you find is that far too many more children end up in the system than need to be or equally you sometimes end up missing significant risks that should have been identified so i think you really should all local authorities should have their best and most experienced social workers on the front door uh particularly if there's like a smaller team of them i mean when i was working at darlington darlington's a very small local authority so there are only four social workers in that duty and assessment team four social workers two managers you had a lot of experience from the managers but looking back i did feel a little bit out of place i wasn't quite experienced enough for that role whereas in long term that's where i really cut my teeth and just as i was very grateful to have two really experienced social workers in linda and naomi sort of the two senior practitioners take me under the wing in the duty team in the long-term team in the field work team in downton had an amazing manager called rebecca becky and what I loved about Becky, 
um, Becky Stevenson, her name was, still is, still is. I, I happened to be in a meeting with her a couple of months back. It was great to see her again. But what was brilliant about Becky is she pushed me. She made me believe in myself and she gave me a kind of confidence and ability that, you know, you don't just have to do the ordinary. You don't just have to do mediocre work. You can be innovative. You can strive. And she really sort of pushed me and would recommend books, would recommend training, would recommend theories and research. And she had a, a real strong drive to be the best you, should, you could be. Now, that didn't work for everyone, Tilly. It didn't work for everyone. But it worked absolutely brilliantly for me and she was amazing and i would have probably you know if not for her leaving that local authority i could have very well still be there now to be perfectly honest because of what a good manager she was but she left to go and work somewhere else and that kind of um things didn't really work out so well after that i think after she'd gone things kind of came to a head a little bit you you, you might have seen this yourself till you know when you've got a really strong manager who has a very clear vision for their team and has a very clear process and work ethic and the kind of teams molded in that person's vision and they're that skillful they're able to juggle all the plates and keep on top of things when that manager goes sometimes you can see issues can't you yeah yeah you can i've seen that many many times and and that's you know a tale as old as time that's exactly what happened with me and things you know I've, I've spoken about this on the podcast many times before i've written about it as well you know not long after she left i ended up with 45 cases you know i was a newly qualified social worker i just finished my asye year i was i was a year in by then but because i was committed and because i worked hard and because obviously becky kept feeding good feedback back about me she kept saying to her supervisors well you know vince is really good he's handling it i kept giving more and more cases when a, when an agency social worker left quite suddenly when hadn't done the work she was meant to do on her cases I got more of them and because I was too scared to say no, I ended up in this awful position with 45 cases because I had lots of work that could be closed, but I just couldn't find the time to do it. Couldn't find the time to, you know, do those closures, do the assessments, tie things up. And it got to a point, you know, when it was a combination of after Becky left, my enthusiasm wasn't really there anymore as it was because, you know, I liked her that much and I was so close to her and she was such a good role model for me whoever came in would never have stood a chance after that would never have stood a chance because i was always part pining for my ex you know no matter how good my next girlfriend was i was always pining for my ex and i was just pining for i wanted becky back in my life and i couldn't handle it you could have had isabel trowler come in and i wouldn't have liked it uh, to be fair if you, you could have had isabel <laughs> but i wouldn't have liked it that isn't maybe that isn't that facetious there but yeah i am um, no no offense to isabel trowler i'm just making a point I, to be fair i've met isabel trowler she's a lovely woman i don't think she deserves the stick that she really gets but hey ho i think it's a story I think, for another day I, yeah it? i think she gets you know what i think she get stick for the role and the unrealistic expectations rather than her as a person and i've given isabel around a stick before but since i've met her in person she's lovely i think she's really really nice she's very committed she's incredibly passionate about social work but like you say there is a there is a story for another day indeed so yeah i ended up moving just after i'd been a year there and i sort of never looked back but yeah that first year was an interesting one it was a roller coaster and it was kind of a microcosm of what social worker is social work is given i ended up with too many cases because i was scared to say no i ended up with three different managers i ended up with some excellent role models and some people who i looked at and i thought i can't believe you're in social work and i can't believe you're going on like this particularly like suddenly leaving cases without putting proper notice in and um, I ended up leaving after a year because I had a better opportunity. Lo and behold, that has really kind of set the tone for my entire career. 
you know, just like with children, those formative years mean a lot, don't they, Tilly? They do. And it's interesting Uh, that we had a fairly similar experience in that respect. I mean, there are many ways that you and I are similar and then there are many ways that we're different as well. But I think that work ethic on and then mm. say not being able to say no to stuff. I think that's probably that resonates with both of us quite heavily. And I think that's yeah. probably why we both ended up in that situation where we had too much. And yeah. if it wasn't for other circumstances, we both could have potentially left social work because of it. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. But, um, you know, you left, I left for a different local authority, one closer to home, and it suited me better. You know, I went from having a 50 mile commute to a five mile commute. And obviously, you, um, you went into adults. Um, let's just turn back to your time in that first year then. What advice would you have given yourself back then? So you're in that exact same situation all over again. If you could turn back the clock eight years and speak to yourself, Tilly, what advice would you give your younger social work self? I think don't work so hard, I think I would say. Um, or not work so long hours. I think that was partly what was causing me so much stress. Um, I just wasn't getting any chance to switch off. And I think what social workers, once they finish their ASYE, probably often forget about is that you during that first year, you have all the portfolio to complete. You've got your reflections to do. You're still embedding your learning. There's lots of training and extra things that I probably pushed to one side because I was too focused on doing the actual job itself. And don't get me wrong, I didn't. I I passed my ASYE and I I did fine in my portfolio. They were they're quite complimentary about it. But I think had I put more time into actually just letting myself reflect and breathe I think I could have probably learnt more during that first year rather than just survive it um so I think that would be my my biggest bit of advice don't sell your soul to do the job and just give yourself loads of breaks and time to just reflect and absorb the information because it's a constant learning curve and learning new information all the time is exhausting so no wonder why so social workers get so tired during those first year or so what's um what's your golden piece of advice then for our newly qualified workers uh well for myself and this may be relevant to them too is stop being a try hard nobody will be impressed by your efforts to work late and always go above and beyond the only person that you are appeasing by yourself is your own inner insecure little boy be more ron weasley less hermione granger mm-hmm. yeah yes i was uh i was always thinking i would try and impress people by working hard and working late and going above and beyond and saying yes but at the end of the day the only person i was trying to impress and appease was myself and i wish i could go back and say look chill you should aim for a gentle life. You should aim for a gentle, peaceful life. You are not impressing anybody. And by taking on more work and wanting to more work with more clients, you are giving all of your clients and your friends and your family and your loved ones, you are giving everybody a worse version of you. Learn to say no. Stop trying so hard. 
and realize that less is more and that you really can work smarter, not harder. That is not just a cliched management saying in order to excuse overburdening professionals. The power is within you to learn that. And that would be the number one bit of advice I would give myself. And I think that is hopefully applicable to anybody else who finds himself in a similar position. Um, we both are managers, Tilly. You still are a manager. I'm not. I've got out of that game. I wonder if we could both spend a bit of time reflecting upon, firstly, how you support any newly qualified social workers you work with recently, and I can maybe get an insight into three or four newly qualified social workers that I've supported in the past. So knowing what you went through and knowing the struggles faced by our newer social workers, Tilly, what do you do as a manager to help better support fledgling social workers at the outset of their professional journey? Well, I think actually being there and showing up for them is probably the best thing that you can do as a manager to support your newly qualified workers. Um, I remember when I first became a manager, I took over the management of two um, social workers that were midway through through their ASYE, and they were both really struggling. Um, and I don't want to speak ill of the, the previous manager. They were having they were struggling with multiple roles speak as ill as you like Tilly speak as (laughs) ill as you like go for it no because it it wasn't their fault at all they were doing more than one person's job and actually they were supervising too many people and then I ended up doing the same thing but I certainly dedicated a lot of my time to those newly qualified workers because if you put in that effort at the start of people's careers you first of all you retain them in social work and you don't lose them straight away but also you're reaping the rewards later on as you get competent and confident qualified social workers and I think some of the best things that you can teach them once once they kind of know the processes and that doesn't need to be taught by a manager that could be taught by a a mentor or a colleague Um, but teaching people how to present a case is one of my first lessons that I teach people Um, because if you're going to someone for advice you need to know how to identify those salient points and get across firstly the situation in an accurate way but then convey what it is that you're asking the other person or people for Um, I think that's a really key skill time management again Um, I know I'm not the best person at time management and I think you would probably do a far better job than I would at that but but teaching people how to structure their diaries how to manage a busy caseload and how to protect their time when they need to do things like the boring bits of paperwork that always get pushed to the side and I try and take a really like practical hands-on approach with with new workers as well so I will always go out and do visits with people. I think that's really important. So either they're shadowing me or I'm going out with them, but not as a direct observation, because actually that's not necessarily always that helpful. And that puts people under more pressure if they think they're going to be observed. But just to joint work something and and support people through a tricky case. um, I think that's that's really important how to sort of model that behaviour and just show people that I make mistakes as a manager and I have done throughout my career and I try and encourage people to just learn from my mistakes and their mistakes as well and not be afraid to make mistakes because that's always a worry of newly qualified workers as well 
so fearful about can't make a mistake can't get anything wrong my face is going to be on the front (laughs) page of the tabloid and actually one of the first things that I tell people when I I start supervising someone new is some of the worst mistakes that I've ever made in social work um, just to try and break the ice a bit and just show that look we all make horrible mistakes but actually it's how you deal with them about being open and honest about that, how you rectify things when things go wrong. And that and is tell you far what more would, important. Uh, what, what would oh. Brad A. Brown, your hero, tell you about vulnerability? Well, many, many things. Are you after a quote? What are you after? Oh, well, you can give me a quote. <laughs> impress me, please. <laughs> um, do you know what? My mind's gone blank. I can't remember anything. Oh, you, can't, you can't tease me like that. You've, you've played yourself um, there. You've played yourself I did. There. I did. You offered me I a quote and there's the, none uh, on the menu. Yeah, the, the Teddy Roosevelt quote, uh, quote about being in the arena. If you're not in the arena, yeah, get totally in the arena. So, um, But it is important, yeah, though. It is, anyway. important, it is important to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, isn't it? Um, in terms of what I used to do for the students, well, the uni choir, I, mean, I have supported students. I've never actually been a practice educator, but I've uh, supported them. But in terms of the uh, newly qualified that I've managed in the past is really, do you know, try to pass on the lessons that Linda and Naomi and Becky taught me because th- those were the three people that I needed in my first year as a student. And now they say that the right people in your life turned up to give you lessons at the right times if all you'll listen to them. And I was very grateful I had the right people for me. I had Linda and Naomi who who showed me what it really meant to be a social worker and who gave me, they taught me more, more about being a social worker in three months than university had taught me in two years. And if not for them, I, I, I don't know how I would have coped, to be perfectly honest. I, I probably would have, but I would have coped. I wouldn't have thrived. I would have just about coped. I would have scraped through. And then Becky was an excellent role model. She pushed me. And I think that's that's what I tried to do when I was a manager is I pushed the people who needed pushing and I put my arm around the people who needed an arm put around them. And the number one thing I did is I, I made sure that I tailored my approach and my support and my learning to the needs of the people. I didn't have a specific management style. If there was, I'd probably say chilled out entertainer like uh, David Brent was probably the closest I could get to my management style description. But the the key thing I used to do is I, I treat everybody as individuals. What that person needed from me as a manager and as a mentor is what that person got. And the other thing I did as well is I led from the front line. And that was kind of, that was a bit insecurity on my behalf as well, because my service manager, Ben, great guy, still speak to him these days, hell of a good guy. He sort of really mentored me through my first management position. And he he used to try and say, look, Vince, you've got to let go. You've got to step back a little bit. And that's when I realized that perhaps management wasn't for me long term because I couldn't. I missed it too much. You know, when I tried to get out, it was pulling me back in. I couldn't really let go. So I used to leave from the front. I would go out on visits where it was needed. You know, I wouldn't be overbearing. I wasn't micromanaging. But if somebody needed someone to go on a visit, then I would go with them. So yeah, I um I tried to be the manager that I always wanted and I always needed and that I took the best elements of all the people that had mentored me, added a bit of my own personality and tried to take it from there. Um let's finish on this one, okay, Tilly. What do we think our universities and employers en masse 
can do to better support newly qualified social workers. Let's both talk about universities first. So you go with universities and I'll go, then we'll both talk about employers. So what could universities do to better prepare students for the reality of that first year of social work practice? Shoot. That is a mammoth question, that is. Um, I think there needs to be more on learning about how to look after yourself and stay resilient. I think there needs to be more around teaching people how to prioritise a pressured workload because those sorts of skills that you learn um, are are very much on-the-job skills that you pick up over time and no one actually teaches you how to prioritise a caseload, whereas I think that is a huge part of social work learning that's missed. So, yeah, I think they're, they're the kind of the two main ones, but I also think universities need to be really supportive about how to apply for an interview for jobs and I don't think enough universities across the board do this I know some universities are better than others and some will go above and beyond to support their people to get a job but actually that's a skill in itself and there's a certain way that that employers look for when they're when they're reading through applications and it's a really easy thing to teach that but so many universities still don't do that I like it. I like it. Um, we've talked about self-care before, haven't we? Recently, you and I, and I agree with that one, you know, because our universities, respectively, when we discussed it, didn't uh, didn't support us on that one. In terms of one thing that university can do better, simply bridge the gap between uh, academia and practice. It, look, it's all well and good knowing theories and knowing all about you know the underpinning of the welfare state and knowing about anti-oppressive practice and discrimination of course those things are important but they are lost if they are not applied in practice i would like to see social work become a far more vocational based training course and I see students coming into the profession from three different main routes at the moment. I see people coming in via the frontline fast track route. I see people coming in via the apprenticeship route. And I see people coming in by the same route that you and I did, Tilly, the university route. And which one of those do you think I feel is being left behind in terms of the skills they enter the profession with? Oh, the university route. I mean, the apprenticeships are spot on. Mm -hmm. I think everyone should be doing apprenticeships. I think this is where the future of social work lies. Um, I've had so many really strong, newly qualified social workers recently have crossed my path that have come through as apprentices and they're brilliant. They're just, they just Mm -hmm. get it because they've got that work-based learning. They've done it. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that's certainly where the future of social work education is lying. So we are entering a tiered system where what should be, you know, on paper, if you were to say to somebody, oh, would you rather, like traditionally, university or apprenticeship, but of course university must be better because, you know, I'm going to be taught an academic basic, I'm going to uni. That is not the reality as I see it. Now, I'm not criticising universities in particular for that, and I'm certainly not looking to be disparaging on university students I was one, you are one, Tilly. I just have to call it as I see it in terms of practical skills. And I have to say that universities must up their game lest they will get left behind and students or newly qualified people who are looking to become students will soon cotton on that if I go down the apprenticeship route, if I go down the fast track route, if those options are available to me, of course, because 
some people may only have the university option just as I did and you did back at the day um I think they'll be left behind so that's the number one thing I would say let's talk about employers then Tilly what can employers what can local authorities and other organizations that may employ social workers what's one thing they can do to better improve the support they offer newly qualified social workers I think employers need to think really carefully about who manages those newly qualified workers because as you've already talked about today a good manager can be the making of a social worker whereas a bad manager can lead to the social worker falling by the wayside so I think there needs to be a lot more done to upskill managers to be honest in in supporting newly qualified social workers and then making sure that those newly qualified workers go to be to the experienced managers and and the mentors that can actually support them to thrive and of course as well make sure that there's a really strong well-being offer Um, because if you don't look after your social workers then they're not going to be there to look after the people that we need to support i like it i like it very good indeed um after this nice and quickly we simply have to have capped caseloads i've called for it for years and i will still continue to call for it no newly qualified social worker should have more than 12 people to support and i don't believe that any fully qualified social worker should have more than 18 people you do this we will see better support for our clients we will see happier social workers we will see less turnover we will save massive amounts of money spent on sick pay and having to recruit people as short-term measures we will see far better outcomes for clients and whilst it may mean a little bit more money in the long term it will mean far less money in the short term because when we do close cases and when we do finish work with people we will have the time to have done meaningful work in people's life to affect realistic change and we will see the referral rates re-referral rates should I say significantly drop right Tilly we're going to end on our speech to the nation our address to the nation any newly qualified social workers who are listening to this now or maybe listen to this in years to come as a good introduction to their start of the social work journey. What's a message that you would give to a newly qualified social worker starting their career right now? Keep your horizons broad. And if your first job doesn't feel like it fits you as a person, you as a social worker, then please, before you leave the profession, try other areas of social work. I bang on about this all the time, but honestly, I very almost left um, social work because of my difficult start in children's services. Not that any manager or any colleague or anything did anything in particular, but it was too much too soon. And actually, I found my home later on in adult services um, and now in a mental capacity act team. I found my niche. So please keep trying like lots of different roles before you settle on one very very good advice indeed let's try and follow that one um you look qualified social workers those of you who are starting out in your career i would like you to bear one thing in mind before you commence and that is to remember that you deserve a happy life too you deserve to be happy you deserve to be satisfied you deserve to have a good life balance and you deserve to be supported and loved and cared for you will spend a lot of time in this year to come and indeed in the rest of your life as a social worker to come focusing on the needs of the people you support you will rightly want to make sure they are protected you will rightly want to make sure they are cared for you will rightly want to make sure they are safe and you will inevitably do anything that is within your power to try and make that happen for the people you care for and support 
But you need to realize that you cannot fill from an empty cup. You need to realize that you matter too and that you matter most. There will be many times where you will push that little voice inside of you down to the bottom, that little voice that is screaming, get out of this, don't do this, this isn't right. You are going to break, you are going to snap. You cannot keep bending like a birch. Eventually your leaves will snap, your tree will snap and you'll fall down. You can't keep doing that to yourself. You need to put yourself first. By putting yourself first, you inevitably put your clients first. You offer a better service to your clients. You offer a better person to your loved ones, your family, your friends, your children, your respective partner, your next door neighbor, your milkman, the person who delivers your Amazon parcels every day. You will be a better person in life. You'll be a better social worker if you try and understand that you deserve to be cared for as well. It is not selfish to look after yourself and neither is it self-serving to decide to put yourself first sometimes. It is absolutely necessary in this work. If you want evidence for why that is necessary, simply go and look at your local authorities' turnover rate. Simply go and have a look through any single one of the cases you were allocated to. And this will make you sad, this. Go and have a look in the history of a case that has had long-term involvement from the local authority. And you just go and have a look at all of the names that have been involved in that child's life every single time a social worker has been reallocated to an adult or a child. That will tell you just how dispensable you will be as a social worker. And the reason you'll be so dispensable is because if you do not look after yourself, somebody else will take your job because you will burn out. And not only will you burn out, but you will affect your own family and friends because as you'll see from those case notes and all the history of social workers before you, you will see that those social workers have been replaceable. You've replaced somebody else, somebody else will replace you. Your wife won't get a new husband. Your husband won't get a new wife. Your partner will not have a new partner. Your children will never have a new mother. Your friends, family members, aunties, uncles, grannies, cousins, next door neighbor, they won't have another you in their life. So put yourself first and don't think that it's selfish. Don't think that it's self-serving. Don't think that it's doing your clients a disservice. Putting yourself first and remembering that you deserve to be looked after for two is the most important thing you could do as a social worker. Took me a long time to realize that. It took me a lot of hard lessons to realize that. It's caused me a lot of difficulties to realize that. But now I have realized it. I want to pass that message on to you and I hope you listen to it when you begin your career. Well said, Vince. Well, well said. Right. Um, that's about it for this evening, guys. Thank you ever so much for tuning in. As always, if you want to read any stories linked to this, head over to mysocialworknews.com. In particular, you may want to check out one that I wrote a few weeks ago, which is called The Six Biggest Mistakes That Newly Qualified Social Workers Make and How to Avoid Them. Have a look at that and it may give you a few more pointers in addition to what Tilly and I have suggested on today's podcasts. Do check in with us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, anywhere else that you access your social media needs. You can follow me, you can follow Tilly, you can follow Social Work World, and you can follow Social Work News too. We haven't had any reviews in this week, so we haven't read any out, but if you would like your review read out on next week's show, do head over to iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else where you get your audio needs given to you and you will be able to leave a review and we'll read that out on next week's show. We'll be back next week with who knows what, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.